0: This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Most of the state's largest school districts are now focusing on reopening schools this fall with distance learning. No county on the state's monitoring watch list for increases in COVID-19 cases will be able to reopen without special approval. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports in the Bay Area many teachers are relieved.
2: Marissa Gibbons just got elected president of the United Teachers of Richmond in the Bay Area.
3: Yeah, so we began negotiations on Monday.
2: Gibbons says her teachers are feeling political pressure from the economic need to reopen schools, and they aren't happy about it.
3: They don't want to be in a position, and they should never have to be in a position where they have to choose between their health and safety and the economy.
2: Her union wanted criteria to reopen to include 14 consecutive days of no new cases in a community. And that's what Governor Newsom laid out, along with clear triggers for when schools would have to shut down again. A 5% positive case rate in a school means it must close. Berkeley Unified Superintendent Brett Stevens was glad for the clarity, but is stunned the governor didn't offer more resources for schools.
1: He stayed silent on the question both of local capacity for surveillance testing and the resources required to implement that testing. For the first time ever, he appears to be suggesting that districts themselves would have the responsibility to test staff. And that is news to me.
2: Stephen says for schools to ever reopen campuses, they will need to be able to reassure parents and teachers they can do so safely. And that is going to take much more investment from the state. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy.
0: Some employers are now requiring proof of a negative COVID 19 test before allowing employees to return to work. Public health officials say employers should not be directing their employees to free government-run COVID-19 testing sites. KPCC's
3: Jackie Fortier explains. Public health officials say it's a waste of limited test kits that should be reserved for sick people with COVID-19 symptoms. Dr. Cameron Kaiser is the health officer for Riverside County.
1: Not only are employers not legally entitled to those results, but it is interfering with people getting back to work, reduces our available appointments, when we should be using those appointment slots for community surveillance.
3: Dr. Christina Galley, director of LA's Department of Health Services, agrees and says just because you're negative one day doesn't mean you won't get infected the next. There really
2: isn't a scientific basis for requiring a proof of negativity prior to returning to work. And to the extent that it pushes out individuals who do have a need for testing, then it really can do harm to individuals, again, that are at risk of this virus.
3: Last week, California shifted its testing strategy to focus on vulnerable patients and those with the highest risk of contracting the virus. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles.
0: Well, we are just two weeks from massive furloughs set to hit the federal agency in charge of processing immigration applications. California lawmakers say they're trying to reach a bailout deal. As KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reports, the stakes are high for hundreds of thousands of immigrants in the state who depend on the agency for green cards,
4: work permits, and U.S. citizenship. California Democratic Representatives Lucille Roybal-Allard of Los Angeles and So Lofgren of San Jose are working to include emergency funds for U.S. citizenship and immigration services in the next COVID recovery bill. But they say the White House has not yet formally requested the supplemental funding, which would help speed up the agency's rescue. Here's Solofgren. I think if, if the uh, administration decides to run this agency off a cliff, uh, which is, looks like they're planning to do, I think it would be really a shameful thing for them to do. A spokesman with the White House Office of Management and Budget disputes that and says Congress has all the information it needs to keep USCIS running. Unlike other federal agencies, USCIS funds most of its operations with immigrant application fees, which dropped off during the pandemic. Back in May, officials with the agency told Congress they need $1.2 billion to avoid furloughing more than two-thirds of their staff, including 2,300 employees in California. Jadu is former chief counsel at USCIS. She says President Donald Trump's restrictive immigration policies have also cost the agency millions of dollars by excluding many immigrants from work permits and other benefits.
3: They had a financial crisis that was looming that they predicted long before the pandemic that we're in.
4: Jadu now works at the immigrant advocacy group America's Voice. She says furloughs would deny benefits to more immigrants because no one will be working to process petitions for things like U.S. citizenship right before the election. So, this is an insidious, bureaucratic way of achieving many
3: of the policies that this administration has implemented since the beginning.
4: Oakland immigration attorney Jesse Lloyd says many of his clients have already seen delays in getting their work permits due to the agency's financial problems. He says any furloughs would mean many Bay Area breadwinners could lose their ability to work legally.
1: These are households with U.S. citizen
3: spouses. These are often households with U.S. citizen children. And all of these citizens are relying on the spouse to be able to, to be employed.
4: The furloughs would start August 3rd and last one to three months if the agency can't get extra cash. For The California Report, I'm Farida Javala romero Since the COVID-19 pandemic began, thousands of Californians have
0: filed complaints about feeling threatened by the virus at work. One employer has been the subject of more complaints than any other by far. The health system Kaiser Permanente. CAP Radio's Scott Rod starts us off with this investigation.
1: The state received a total of 2,600 coronavirus workplace safety complaints between February and May. Nearly 120 of them were about Kaiser. Dozens of complaints claim staff were not given adequate protective equipment, in particular masks.
3: It literally became a fight to try to get just the basic equipment that we felt we needed to be safe.
1: Amy Arland is an intensive care nurse at Kaiser's Fresno Medical Center. In March, the facility had an outbreak that infected 10 nurses. One of them died. Nurses had to
3: begin... Um, explaining their need and trying to justify why they felt they needed a higher level of protection.
1: Kaiser declined an interview request. In a written statement, the company said it is committed to the health of its staff and patients, and that's reflected in its workplace safety policies. The statement did recognize that the healthcare industry as a whole has struggled to obtain protective equipment, such as masks and gowns, especially at the start of the pandemic. Diane McClure, a registered nurse in Kaiser's South Sacramento Hospital, says the situation has improved in recent months, but it's not perfect. Nurses are now given N95 respirator masks, but Kaiser sanitizes and reuses them. McClure says the manufacturer recommends they should be used once. She also believes nurses should no longer be assigned to COVID and non-COVID patients in the same shift. There's a big risk of cross-contamination due to nurses taking care of patients that have the disease along with patients that don't have the disease. About half the complaints against Kaiser have been closed, meaning the state looked into them and determined the initial concerns were ultimately addressed. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento.
0: A lot of Californians had hoped to escape the risk of catching coronavirus by going outdoors this summer to camp and hike. But California's remote corners aren't insulated from the pandemic, especially when they get a lot of visitors. Case in point, Yosemite National Park, which was thought to be COVID-free, but has found traces of the virus in its wastewater. KQED's Raquel Maria Dillon has more. No one has tested positive at Yosemite's health clinic. No visitors have gotten sick. And officially, there have been only 36 COVID-19 cases in Mariposa County, with only one death and one person hospitalized. But when health officials sent samples of raw sewage from the national park to a Massachusetts lab, the results show something very different. Based on how much virus was in those samples, Biobot Analytics reports as many as 170 people in Yosemite Valley were infected. And likely didn't know it. Yosemite started reopening on June 11th. Campgrounds, hotels, and restaurants have scaled back operations to follow state and local rules and to keep visitors at a safe distance. For the California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon. Now, to a story from our ongoing statewide project on police accountability KQED has uncovered serious abuse by a California Highway Patrol officer in Los Angeles. Officer Morgan McGrew sexually propositioned or harassed at least 21 women during appointments at a CHP field office. McGrew resigned in 2017 after the CHP moved to fire him, but the agency never referred his case to the district attorney for potential criminal charges, so his misconduct stayed secret until now. KQED's Suki Lewis found out about the case in documents just released by the agency. She joins us now. Hi, Suki. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on. It's good to have you here. So why did the CHP start looking into Officer Morgan McGrew in the first place?
3: So one of these women that he harassed finally complained. Um, She was a Spanish-speaking woman who was in the office with her young son trying to get um, the vehicle identification number on her car verified, which is something that you need to do in order to get your registration on your car. And McGrew tells this woman he'll pass her car if she goes to a motel with him. And at first, you know, because of the language barrier, she doesn't understand what he's saying. And so he repeats it to her twice, and she gets really upset, goes inside the office and makes a complaint. And at that point, the CHP starts an internal investigation. And it's really interesting because as they start looking, you know, twice, they have to broaden the scope of the investigation because they just keep finding more women who have had, you know, really negative, inappropriate uh uh, harassment from this officer. And just so you know, we weren't able to reach McGrew for comment. Um, but from the documents, we know that he did admit to investigators that he made uh, inappropriate comments. And he also said that he felt that he shouldn't lose his job. Wow.
0: Well, the details in this case are pretty awful. Can you tell me why this case
3: is only now coming to light? Well, I really think that has to do with two things. Um, You know, first of all, police files, these internal records have been really secret for a really long time. And the only reason that we have this file now is because of a police transparency law that went into effect last year that opened up... um, these internal records relative to sexual misconduct by police officers. And we asked the CHP for all records related to um, sexual abuse by their officers, you know, back in January 2019. But it has taken them a really long time to provide these records. Um, So KQED actually sued them in May, and we got this file on Officer McGrew shortly after that. I think the second reason that this case flew under the radar could be because the CHP didn't forward the case to prosecutors. The agency kind of just let McGrew resign. And I talked to a former U.S. attorney about that, and he said he was shocked, frankly, that McGrew's case was never formally referred to prosecutors.
0: Wow. Well, Suki, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing this reporting with us.
3: Sure thing. Thank you.
0: And that is the California Report for this Monday, July 20th, a production of KQED Public Radio. If you're a fan of the show, we want to hear from you. We're looking for listeners like you to participate in a short survey so we can better serve you. Help us by visiting kqed.org/tcrsurvey. That's kqed.org/tcrsurvey. I'm Lily Dramali. Have a great day.
1: Support for the California report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, acknowledging the vital work of local public health departments to keep Californians safe during the pandemic on the web at chcf.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools. Personalcapital.com.